This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Well, we're at the magic hour, so I'll go ahead and get started. I'm uh, Dr. Gary Halquist. I'm one of the counseling pastors here at the Shepherd's Church, and I also teach the biblical counseling curriculum for Shepherd's Theological Seminary. And um, our church recently went through the process of creating a domestic abuse policy. And when Dr. Burgraff approached me and... um, he didn't exactly ask me, but um, <laughs> prompted me to uh, to put together something. I mentioned uh, how about something on domestic abuse policy. He thought that would be great. So we're going to take a look at domestic abuse responding biblically and lovingly as a church. <laughs> I want to do my my goal is to kind of do roughly thirty minutes of talking you through the first uh, four-page document that you have, and then the last 15 minutes looking at the uh, actual policy itself so you can kind of get an idea of what we eventually came up with. Okay? So that's uh, where we're going. Lord willing. Turn that on. All right. Okay. The problem is much larger than you think. When you think about domestic abuse, uh, you're, you're looking at a major uh, thing going on, and not just in society, but in the church as well. Uh, the new politically correct term is intimate partner violence. So if you want to go look it up on some of the normal websites like CDC and some others, that's the new terminology so if you're looking for domestic abuse, it's that that terminology is being replaced. Um, at any rate, CDC currently says there's one in four women that during their lifetime they're going to experience some form of domestic abuse, and one in ten men. Now, in the context of here, I'm going to be talking about it, uh, the situation as. The women are the victims and the men are the perpetrators. I know that that is not always the case. Okay, There are exceptions to that, but it's about an 80-20 rule. Uh, There's far more uh, where that's the truth of the situation. The man is the perpetrator and the woman is the victim in the case of domestic abuse. So it's it's much larger than you think. And, And... it's not small in your church. You know, we don't tend to think of it this way. We're looking out at our congregations. We're up on the platform on Sunday morning, or we bump into people in the hallway, and we're not thinking, I wonder how many people are suffering with domestic abuse. But here's the problem. The problem is in the church, it's really easy to hide. Okay? Men can hide behind that whole idea of they're in the position of authority. According to Scripture, the husband is the head of the wife. Therefore, they can hide behind that. And women often have felt like, because the men have protection, if you will, that they don't have a voice. They go to somebody in the church, an authority, 
And what they're going to hear is, well, honey, you just need to pray more. Uh, you need to give him more sex. Uh, whatever it is that he asked for, that's what you need to do. And, uh, and just suffer for Jesus. And sad to say, but that's been the response of a lot of people for a long period of time. So it's created even a deeper problem. It's hard to create, uh, to switch the tide and create an environment in your church where women can come forward and say, this is going on in my life, and, and find a, a voice. Uh, the problem is also more complicated than you think it is. Most women leave and go back an average of seven times before finally getting out of their abuse situation. Even in physical abuse, even when they're going back time and time again and getting hurt, this is the, this is the average, seven times. It's hard to get out of. It's hard to leave. Um, and there's this awful fact that most abusers do not change. The stats show that less than 5% of abusers ever stop being abusers. It's hard work. I mean, if you were raised in a family where your dad was an abuser and his dad abused him and you kind of see that as the pattern, this is the way you do life, you figured out that that I, I have a system which I can support biblically, not really, but, you know, that's, that's kind of their thinking. Next thing you know, they are, they're really locked into that way of thinking, getting them to see themselves as an abuser, as a perpetrator, as somebody who's doing damage, and being able to confront that, the pride that's involved there, have the humility to face that and turn around, it's hard, hard work. And it doesn't happen overnight. Abuse is not a marriage problem. <coughs> it's not a marriage problem. It's not fixed with marriage counseling. Marriage counseling gives the abuser an opportunity to gaslight the counselor. Now, if you don't know the term gaslighting, it simply means that they paint the picture in a way that makes the other person think they're nuts, they're crazy comes from an old movie that's called Gaslight. In fact, if you're an Angela Lansbury fan who just died, that was her first movie that she was ever in. And uh, it's an interesting movie for sure. But that, that's the picture there. They, they can paint a picture that, oh, and they do it at church. The perpetrators at church are wonderful people. They are beautiful men. They just, you know, they love their wives in public and they're they're likable, you enjoy being around them, and there's no way you could possibly imagine that they could be abusing their wife at home, and yet they do. And uh, another thing that makes it complicated is you want to, you want to tell the woman, get out, get, out, get away from this situation. It's damaging you, it's tearing you up, and yet... It, that can be the worst advice of all, to step in and want to do that before they're ready to do that. They need a plan. They need an exit strategy. They need a support system that can enable them to move from that situation to a safe situation. It doesn't. Uh, they, they are actually in far more danger if they just try to leave on a whim. <coughs> a bad situation pops up. The husband acts out. Uh, had one recently where her husband pulls a gun out and he stuck it at his own head 
and says, I'm going to blow my brains out if you leave me. Well, that's um, not really a good situation to say, okay, you need to run run out the door and call the police. You could have a real serious situation on your hands. So it's complicated. The resolution, it takes longer than you think. This is not fast work. If you do it fast, you're going to get it wrong. I, I had the, I've now worked in probably four or five different uh, domestic abuse situations with counsel. And uh, it starts off, you, maybe you have your first meeting with the wife. The wife comes in and she is describing classic abuse situation. So your brain's just kind of going bing, 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 bing. Next thing you know, in comes the husband. You have a conference with him. Oh, she's really playing this up. She, she has, you can ask her dad. She's been a whiner and complainer all her life, and she loves to, you know, color things the way they're really not. And, um, you know, next thing you know, you're going, well, okay, maybe I'm not reading this exactly right. And then you get the wife back in, and then you get the husband, and then, and then you try to sit down with both of them, and you see them interact, and, it's slow. <laughs> it's hard work. It's slow. It takes a long time. And so, you know, most of you in this room, I would doubt, are professional counselors. And so you, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to a different group of people rather than professional counselors. And what I would say to you is you need some help. You need somebody that can handle this lengthy period of time that's going to be required to unpack it and put things in a good place. Okay. You can't jump to quick conclusions there. Um, Brad Hambrick wrote this, Historically, the church has been more skilled in applying the gospel to sin than to suffering. Hence, in pastoral care, we ask relatively few non-moral questions about abuse. To the degree we get involved, we focus on getting the destructive person to simply stop their abusive actions more than a assessing the safety of the victim, victim, B, evaluating whether a criminal act took place, or C, helping the victim understand the impact of being abused. I think he's right on target there. Real quick to uh, jump to the sin and not to the suffering. And dealing with people who are going through suffering takes much more time, skill, care, uh, effort than dealing with straight-up sin. Uh, next point I've got on your sheet there is safety is first. Then comes victim issues, which involves typically trauma to some degree, anxiety issues, there's fear, there's definitely going to be fear underneath that. Your perpetrator issues, you don't want to just get the wife, the woman to a safe place. You need to deal with, if you're dealing with a husband and a wife, you need to deal with the man's issues as well. And getting him to understand that his behavior is controlling and um, causing issues and that perhaps he's got anger issues going on, this is, like I say, a slow process. And then, and only then, if you're making progress there, do you ever come back and start dealing with the marital issues? Generally speaking, uh, working with a perpetrator, 
if you're going to get some progress going, it's anywhere from five months to a year before you're really seeing a difference in a man's life. That's the norm. Okay? So we're talking a long period of time before we can do the work of let's try to put the marriage back together. How easy it is it for a woman who has uh, been beaten by her husband to trust him again? To trust him and be willing to continue in that relationship and reestablish love, intimacy, all the things that you expect out of a marriage. Folks, this is hard stuff. Very hard stuff. Now, okay, one more bit of bad news and then we'll turn the corner a little bit. There, there are no guarantees that the desired outcome will be reached for the individuals or the marriage. Stats show that most marriages fail and most perpetrators do not change. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? So you're, it, it reminds me of uh, Isaiah chapter 6. You know that great passage of Isaiah in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he's got this great vision of God and he says, God says, who will go? And he says, here am I, send me. And then we stop preaching right there, don't we? Because the next thing says, okay, Isaiah, I'm going to send you and guess what they're going to do? They're not going to pay any attention to you. They're not going to listen to you. You are going to result in the hardening of their hearts and the closing of their ears. You know what Isaiah says after that? Instead of, hear my Lord, he says, how long, O Lord? Okay, a little change of tune. Well, this is domestic abuse work is that very thing. It's hard work. You're called into something that may or may not produce great results, or at least what you're looking for. I mean, obviously we want restoration. We want people to be whole, and we want marriages to be reunited, and reconciliation, all those great R words that we love. We want that repentance, restoration, reconciliation, you know, all, the, all those good things. But it may not come. But God. And there are those people, there are those situations, there, there are those that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that man's heart and turns him around and puts things right and manages to work in, in warming up the wife and actually giving him the time to demonstrate change of behavior, change of attitude, and saying, I'm willing to take a chance again, and good results. I've seen it. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Darby Strickland, one of the excellent authors on um, on this subject, on domestic abuse, says that there are five categories of abuse. There's physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual, and financial. Now, physical is pretty easy to figure out. You get slugged, you get slapped, you get... Now, folks, let me tell you, a man holding a woman down against her wishes is physical abuse. Okay? Don't soft sell it. Mm -hmm. That is physical abuse. Sexual abuse is, is desiring a, uh, a woman, uh, the, the man desiring the woman to do things she is not comfortable with, uh, things like that. <coughs> Emotional abuse. Uh, 
yes, this is a really hard one to tackle and to get into because many a husband will go right up to the line of something physical and stop. But the damage that they've done with their words in beating down this woman time and time and time again. Now, this is where I've seen the reversal come in. I've seen women do it to men where the poor man is nothing but a shell of a human being because his wife has tongue-lashed him to the point that he could barely stand up. That's emotional abuse. And it's painful. And the lasting, the, the breadth of destruction that comes from that is enormous. It's enormous. Don't underestimate it. Spiritual abuse. This is when the man comes in and says, the Bible says, you, woman, submit. And they use that. They use Scripture passage. The Bible tells us that we can have, your body belongs to me, and so you got to do whatever I want whenever I want it. So forth and so on. This is spiritual abuse. It's taking scriptures out of context and, and beyond what they were intended to do and use them in a way against your spouse. Financial, hiding money, um, you know, running up debt, all kinds of little ways that that can, can play out. Uh, there's a, if you look up Duluth Wheel of Power and Control, there was a study done in Duluth, um, where is that? Minnesota? Yes, no, Minnesota. One in, but, one in Georgia, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew there was one there, but I get the, I always get the M states mixed up up there. You know, Michigan, Minnesota. It's Minnesota. Duluth, Minnesota. Power and Control Wheel. You'll see variations of this. I, the one I had for you printed has more detail on it than what I put up here on the PowerPoint. This has just got the headings up here. But it gives you an idea. And this this is the this is the backbone of what's going on when it comes to abuse, and it's power and control. That's what they're after. That's what the perpetrator is desiring to do is to force results. Force getting what they want. Okay? And these are different ways that they go about it. All right. Let me just read this to you and we'll talk about it for a second, though. Um, all right. The conundrum. If our theology of marriage evaluates, uh, excuse me, elevates marriage itself above the people in the marriage, we tend to view abuse as a suffering issue for the victim and a sin issue for the perpetrator. If our theology of suffering does not include exiting the marriage when abuse is going on, the victim is encouraged to focus on the spiritual benefits of suffering and to endure the sinful behavior of the perpetrator for the sake of heavenly rewards. If we do allow for an abused spouse to abandon the marriage, what is our biblical justification? Are we going against the clear teaching of Scripture that only acceptable reasons for divorce are sexual sin, as Jesus stated in Matthew 5.32 or 19 verse 9, and desertion by an unbeliever, which Paul states in 1 Corinthians 7? You must answer these questions 
while caring for the victim and rebuking the perpetrator. Hard work. Hard work. And these are tough questions. And if you came to my session to get answers to them, I'm, you're going to be a little disappointed. Um, it's, it's really not my intent, per se, to, to handle that. Uh, Wayne Grudem is doing one of his workshops on his position on divorce, biblical divorce. And I read his paper that he came out with several years ago that says I, he now believes there's more than just the two. The two has been kind of traditional. They're really clear in Scripture. But then when you start thinking through all the issues that come up with (coughs) abuse, what do you do with that? Where do you go? How do you look at this? Are there other things at play here? And I would say, uh, being a counselor, that one of the things I really pray often is, Lord, help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Mm Because we are responsible for the whole counsel of God. It's real easy to go find a couple of verses on a particular topic and say, this is how I need to deal with this. End of discussion. If they don't like it, then too bad. They've, they're, they're the ones that are unbiblical. It's easy to do that. It's harder to go, all right, what about if we look at this as oppression with an oppressor? We have a relationship where one person is being an oppressor and the other is being oppressed. Now, the Bible talks a lot about oppression. Mm-hmm. And God is the champion of the oppressed. And God hates oppression. Now, do we have some more scriptures that need to be considered as we're filtering through mm-hmm. this whole issue? Okay? Now, let me just say this one little thing and then I'll pass on. Is... Uh, a, a counselor, and if you do any kind of counseling, pastoral counseling, whatever, a counselor is not in a position to say, I think you should get a divorce. Okay? We don't go there. I don't ever go there. I can lay out some things to consider. And I, I will say to a woman who's in an abuse situation like this, where I, it's clear that she is being abused. I say, you need to get out of this. Your safety is paramount right now. We've got to get you to a safe place. Okay? Now, is separation okay in the Scriptures? Yes. Now, that doesn't automatically say we're going to file and we're going to get a divorce. What it does mean is I'm pulling the... I'm stopping this sin pattern, okay? I say it this way. Marriage was never designed to be a hiding place for sin. Never. Never in the mind of God did he sit there and think, oh, I'm giving these perpetrator men this great place where they can be as sinful as they want to be and the wife can't do a thing about it. That did not enter the mind and heart of God. A biblical marriage is that which promotes the beauty of each person. It respects the image of God in each person. And it creates harmony. It creates joy. Are there challenges in being married? I've been married 47 years. I I can tell you about a lot of them. Yes, there are challenges. 
Is there wonder in it? Yes. But in a biblical marriage. When I'm treating my wife, when I'm loving her like Christ loved the church, and when she's submitting to me because I'm that kind of man who lovingly leads her by serving her, it works beautifully. And that's the intent in the heart of God. And when we get these things out of whack, sometimes other things have to come into play. Separation sometimes, it stops the enabling of the sin. And now, the perpetrator's got to deal with something or he's facing some serious consequences. Okay? So, all I'm going to say there, um, I, I will encourage you, read. Uh, read. read. I, I put some books over there on abuse that I think are excellent. They're biblical. These are solid, uh, conservative scholars who know their stuff and they've studied well. They can help you make better decisions there. Um I already said this a little bit, but God's attitude towards oppression is important to be considered here. Is God pleased at a marriage where one person is berating, is belittling, is constantly criticizing, is attacking, where where one party feels very unsafe in being there? And I don't mean necessarily physically, but emotionally. I get many a person in marriage counseling where uh, the first few sessions they hardly say anything to each other because neither of them feels safe in having a conversation with one another. Brothers, this ought not to be, to paraphrase Romans 6, you know, this, this should not be this way. So... Think of God's care for the oppressed. Think of Jesus standing up in Nazareth, handed the scroll, and what does he read? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading Isaiah 61. And what does it talk about in there? Release the oppressed. Okay? And best and foremost to me is think of God's design for marriage. Go back to the beginning. Marriage was instituted before the fall. It was a brilliant idea of God's. Absolutely stunning. And He designed it to work a particular way. And when we humans screw it up, which we always do, and, and start doing things we shouldn't do out of our flesh, um, we get things in trouble, then... Um, what does it take? You know, we should humbly be coming back to the scriptures and saying, Lord, I am causing this problem in my marriage because I am not following your word. I'm not loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just being selfish all the time. I want her to do what I want her to do. Or vice versa. And uh, it's it's going to be both people coming back to and bowing before God's design for marriage that's going to bring good things about. Okay? We've got to think biblically about this. All right. Now, let's get to the big question of this seminar, and that is, how do we as a church respond? What do we do? All right, I'm convinced domestic abuse is out there. 
Now, what do we do about it? Well, Brad Hambrick, who put together this book called, um, what's over there, Becoming a Church That... I forget the title. It cares well for the it cares well for the abused. Um, Brad was he he is the uh, counseling guru at the Summit Church in Durham. Great guy. Um, I was talking with him last week. A really amazing person. But he was charged by the Southern Baptist Convention to put this thing together, and they've done a whole video series. They've gotten the best of the best. In fact, most of those names over there are speakers in that uh, video series. It's Church Cares. If you go to churchcares.com, great spot to uh, look over his material. But Brad gives you seven things. If you're a church, you're interested in helping the abused, where do you start? First, he says, talk with an abused victim. In other words, get to know your problem. Get to know what's really going on. Second, talk with an attorney. You need to know what your state laws are. There are things involved with abuse that involve mandatory reporting. There are other things that don't. And you need to know what those are. Third, talk with a social worker. Find somebody who's down in the trenches with domestic abuse situations out in the world. Four, look at your church policies. What do you have in existence? Maybe you have something that kind of covers it, or maybe you have nothing. (coughs) Our church had nothing that was concretely directed towards domestic abuse, and therefore me, along with several others on the task force, were charged with putting something together. Um, Six, share resources with leadership. Get your, get your folks involved there, and then use your social media platforms for awareness, getting people aware of it. I added four more. Uh, number eight, train advocates. There are a number of organizations. We've got one right here in Raleigh called Call to Peace, and I think I've put that on your sheet. Um, and they have a wonderful training program for advocates. These are women who can come alongside women who are in abusive situations. And they know how to come alongside them, know how to be their friend, know how to ask questions to get them to help them see, you know, help them have someone they can talk to about what's going on, help them put together a plan on if they're in an unsafe situation, how to get to safety, and how to do this carefully so that it's not going to cause more problems in the in the long run. Trained advocates, great people to have on your staff. Uh, nine, establish places of refuge. If you got a, a woman who comes in, uh, like I mentioned the one that the husband pulled out the gun, stuck it in his head, and said he was going to blow his brains out, um, that's not a safe situation. And that woman needs a place to go. She needs to be able to get out of there. Some women, some people have relatives, friends, whatever, that they can immediately pick up and they can go somewhere. But not everybody does. And we should do the best we can to help them with that. Ten, train church leadership. Um, Brad Hambrick mentioned, you know, sharing your resources with them and everything. I'd say, let's go a step further. Let's train church leadership in how to respond. You find out about this situation What's the next step? Where do you go? 
and then make help accessible. Make sure the ladies that need help, or men sometimes, uh, know where to go, know how to get there, know what to do. Darby Strickland, who's one of the main authors, that, uh, she has a great book called uh, Is It Abuse over there. She says, she put down 10 steps. Talk with women's ministry, two post signs in the women's bathrooms, where else are they going to get information like that? <laughs> Post signs in the women's bathrooms. Three, train people in victim care. Some of these are overlap. Four, talk to students about dating abuse. I, never crossed my mind, but I'm an old grandpa. You know, I don't think about students as much as I used to. So, uh, talk to students about dating abuse. Have your leadership go through the church cares videos and do the workbook. Um, Great stuff. Pass around Darby Strickland's Domestic Abuse mini-book. It's a fairly easy read. You can get through it in a fairly short period of time, but it's, it's great. It's excellent. Define what the first steps are. If nothing else, your leadership in church ought to know, okay, if, we, if I encounter a domestic abuse situation, where do I begin? Who do I contact first? What's the, what's the order of things, you know? I'll call the police. What do I do? Um, number eight, teach, speak on oppression. When you have opportunities, talk about the heart of the Lord for the oppressed. And get this across. Um, we rolled, rolled this out. It was intentional that we rolled out our domestic abuse policy during the month of October, which is Domestic, abuse, uh, domestic Violence Awareness Month. Okay? And uh, it, was, it was intentional that we did that in trying to speak on this. Start a victim support group. I hadn't thought about that either. Uh, we're, we're not at that place. We don't have one yet. I could see that happening in the future. Uh, put your resources in church libraries so that people can get their hands on them, those, those books over there. And there are others out there. There's more and more stuff that's coming out. So thank you. All right. Um, now let's switch to the domestic abuse policy itself. Uh, I'm only about two minutes behind, so that's pretty good. <coughs> I I don't want to read it all to you because um, that you know that those are things you can can do on your own. I think there. Are, there are a couple of things. I want to read the five, the six bulleted items right at first there. <coughs> Abuse is an assault upon the image of God in another human being. That's not a small matter. It's not a small matter. Okay? Abuse usually occurs in a pattern that is typically increasing in frequency and or intensity. You might uh, find a situation, you say, well, has your husband done any violence to you, Shield? And she might respond, well, not yet, but the other day he slammed his fist through the wall. Mm -hmm. Or the other day he kicked the dog clean across the room. Uh, you know, how far is it from there to striking you or even to taking your life? What would stop him from grabbing a knife out of anger and coming after you? You read about it in the newspaper every day, don't you? I don't, I don't think a day goes by I don't see something. Abuse is intentional, though the abuser may not be self-aware enough to recognize the intense 
intentions are in your heart. It's never perpetrated by accident. Okay? The devil didn't make you do it. No excuses there. You're the one. If you were doing the abuse, you've got to own it. Abuse can involve physical, emotional, verbal, sexual, economic, spiritual, and or psychological means. There are a bunch of ways in which a person can be abusive, and it takes all kinds. Uh, the real pros use multiple approaches. Uh, the goal of abuse is self-gratification, to get one uh, to get what one wants at the expense of another. All right, let's flip the page there and get a couple more things. Uh, let's look at the bullets on the next page. I won't read all of them, but domestic abuse in all its forms is sinful and incompatible with the Christian faith and the Christian way of life. Okay, the the biggest problem I have with um, church responses over the last 40, 50 years has been way too many folks have told the women that they just got to bear up under this. And they've done absolutely nothing to stop the man from his abuse. And that that's just wrong. That's that is. That, that is just wrong. It's You've got a huge <coughs> sin problem right here. And you're allowing it to continue, and you're telling the poor woman that she just has to hang on till Jesus comes back. Well, sad. Um, we give some scripture passages here that talk about how this is very antithetical to the Christian faith. All right. Um, we we go down to some we wills. Uh, skip down to that about. The last four on page two there. We will listen to, believe, support, and care for those affected by domestic abuse. Now, one of the rules that you may think is kind of crazy, but the more you think about it, it's not. And that is when a, when a woman or a man, when, when a person comes to you and claims domestic abuse and they give you specific examples, believe them. What do they have to gain by bringing that stuff up to you? And once in a blue moon, you might get someone who's horrible and devious enough that they are trying to uh, discredit their partner and, and you know smear their reputation and that kind of stuff that would make up a bunch of stuff. But by and large, you think of the, the amount of courage it would take for a woman to come and disclose when they've been for maybe years trying to hide this from all of their church friends. And now they're coming here. Believe them. At the very least, you listen to them and you accept what they're telling as their, certainly their perception of what's going on. Let's validate that. Don't say, oh, maybe you're misreading it. or what, you know, Don't ever go there. Take it in, believe it, offer, give it credence right there. Um, next one says, we will urge abused persons to consider their own safety and that of family members first and to seek help from the church, professional counseling, legal resources to bring healing to the individuals and, if possible, to the marriage relationship in which the abuse occurs. 
Um, skip the next one. Go to we will stand with victims in seeking legal remedies should that be their decision. If they're having to take some legal action involved there, we're uh, you know don't ever cut them loose and say, well, you're on your own now. <laughs> You've stepped into some tough waters, and I'll be praying for you. No, it's, it's got to be more than that. We need to love them well. We will discipline members who are abusers, including removing them from the church if they are unrepentant. Don't be afraid to do church discipline. Uh, we've, we've lived in fear of that way too long. We will work with local domestic violence support agencies. We will learn from them. We will support them in appropriate ways. Uh, the Shepherd's Church has formed a great relationship with two organizations. One is Interact, which is a secular organization. It is built completely around domestic violence. And they know their stuff. They have a wing of theirs that is connections with faith-based groups. And they will gladly come out. They will do training for you. There are all kinds of things. They're the kind that you can give a woman in a situation uh, an 800 number to call. They can call that number and instantly get somebody that can talk them through. They know exactly what to ask. What's going on? Are you safe? How can we get you to safety? And they've got places for women to go. They do this all the time. In fact, that's the only thing they do. And they have a real heart for women. We... I pass out that number when I think that's appropriate to do. The other one we have a connection with is a Christian organization that works in that same vein. It's called Call to Peace. There's a book titled Call to Peace over there. The one's name is Joy Forrest. You read the book, you read her story on the kind of domestic uh, abuse situation she came out of, and she's got a real heart. She's the one that does the training, advocate training that we recommend. We will teach that domestic abuse is a sin. We will teach that it means to be male and female image bearers of God, equal in value, dignity, and worth. Okay? There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that we can treat women at a lesser level than men. That just cannot be be done and be biblical. It's not biblical. Okay? Are there roles in marriage? Absolutely, that God ordained. But it says nothing about their equality and value, worth, and dignity. We must remember that. We will train all pastors, elders, staff, deacons, lay leaders in domestic abuse awareness and will seek to utilize <coughs> trained professionals and encourage best practices. So forth. Um, responding to domestic abuse, you'll see that we have a protocol here. If you want to turn the page on victim care, victim care, abuser discipline, and then marriage relationship reconciliation. I won't go through all that, but I kind of mentioned that to you early on. Of just um, we care for the victim. We want safety. Safety first. That's kind of the overarching principle. We want to go there first. Make sure that the victim is cared for well. Then we step in where we can and help do our best to help abusers. A lot of times they don't want to help, and uh, they, they balk at that. And that we may have church discipline to deal with. And only after we've made some progress there do we really work on trying to get the marriage 
back where it needs to be. Got a handy dandy little flow chart that I spent quite a while on <laughs> putting that together, but I'll let you uh, kind of look over that at your own. You can see basically if you are the one who encounters the situation, then what do you go through? You know, how do you start? What questions do you ask? And so forth and so on. There's an addendum that has to do with children and elderly adults. And uh, there are laws governing those things when there are children involved under 18 years of age. It's mandatory reporting. You find out of any kind of abuse going on, it has to be reported. Same with the care of the elderly. There's, there's protections Okay, and I got it. I got through it in a minute to spare. I, you know, this is one I'd love to have another 30 minutes for questions, but we don't. And I hope this is helpful to you. Um, I, I'd like to close in a word of prayer, and then we'll dismiss. Father, it breaks our hearts, and I know it breaks your heart to see what fallen men and women have done with the institution of marriage, with the institution of the family, and the tragedies that have resulted from sinful behaviors, uh, the suffering that goes on needless. Lord, help us as the church to respond biblically, lovingly, and carefully with those that we know about, and help us put together um, policies and actions that will truly help those that are suffering from domestic abuse. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.